Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Hewlett Smith is the co-founder and CEO of RehabMart, a company that serves patients, families, and caregivers by offering a wide selection of innovative rehabilitation products, superb customer service, and value-oriented discount pricing. As occupational therapists, married family guys, and fathers to special needs children, Hewlett and his co-founder Mike Price understand the challenges of raising special needs children. Hewlett is a father to a daughter who was born with cerebral palsy. As such, Hewlett considers it a fortunate privilege to be able to give back and occasionally consult as a pediatric occupational therapist, serving children and families living with cerebral palsy and brain injury. Hewlett spends the majority of time securing new opportunities, promoting efficiencies, and exploring business alignments for rehab. Hewlett, welcome to the One Away Show. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you uh, for the audience. So they know Hewlett and I's relationship goes back to 2015, maybe 14, uh, in Athens, Georgia. Uh, and uh, he's become a de- dear mentor and someone who I really look up to. Um, so Hewlett, it's a it's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, what what is your one away moment uh, that you want to share with us today? I've had a couple one away moments in life, as most of us have, but I'm I chose to um, discuss the moment when uh, we first learned when Megan and I, my wife, first learned that our first child, Sophia, had just been diagnosed with uh, a brain bleed. We we received the news when she was at about six months gestational age, maybe six and a half months, and um, it happened when she went, Megan uh, went in for an ultrasound, her last ultrasound, and the ultrasound technician found that when she went over the, the baby's brain, they saw um, what appeared to be a brain, a stroke, a brain bleed with fluid uh, sitting in the ventricles, making the ventricles 10 times larger than they should be. And then we had, within days, we they had referred us to a, what they call a maternal fetal specialist who even does... They do more in-depth uh, 3D ultrasound so that it gives them really high-resolution pictures of not just the brain, but they can look at the entire fetus. And we saw uh, how severe the damage was. The maternal fetal specialist reported that um, there had indeed been a severe bleed and um, it affected the visual cortex. It looks like the, the visual cortex part of the brain had been destroyed. He used the term hydrocephalus, which is you know water on the brain. And he also used the term called ventricular megaly, which just meant the ventricles uh, were about 10 times larger than they should be due to all the pressure that was sitting on the child's brain. He then recommended an amniocentesis to look for uh, genetic issues. And um, he discussed the possibility of terminating the pregnancy, uh, which my wife had a really quick response to. But... um, she essentially said, nope, we're going to go home and we're going to figure out a way to fix this. And I remember that moment. She said that and she said, her, immediately just out of her mouth, she says, oh, no, we're going to find a way to fix this. And so at that point, the journey began on, we'll call it our family journey, Sophia's journey. 
Wow. For I'm sure any mother who gets that news and obviously you as the father, I'm so hard to probably process and, and handle uh, and just the, feel the weight of the news that that's delivered, knowing that it's something you're going to have to, you know, live with for the rest of your life. Once the delivery happens, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you talked about going home and processing and Megan and you kind of having to, okay, face reality a bit uh, and what was in front of you. Uh, what did that look like? What, I mean, can you maybe take us to the home and share any of those memories or conversations around how you were going to respond to this? Yes. Um, so we went home and they actually printed a picture um, of her face. They took a picture of her face. They had, she was turned at a, at a great angle. So we took the picture home and we saw, we thought she was like, like most parents, we thought our baby was beautiful. And um, we were concerned, you know, would she make it all the way to the nine months before they do delivery? Um, and she did, she made it to full, full term, 39 weeks, about a week, uh, just shy of full term. And, but what did we talk about? We went home and Megan went back to her initial statement. She said, well, we've got to fix this. And so her mom's a physical therapist, a pediatric physical therapist, and I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. So we had a little bit of a head start, I guess. Um, people tell us that was a blessing that didn't feel like a blessing at the time. I mean, if for like any parent, when you receive news like this, the biggest concern is he said, you know, there will be no visual cortex, no primary visual cortex. So they said, you know, she's probably going to be blind. Um, she's going to have a brain injury, which we call that cerebral palsy. Typically is what the diagnostic term is after the child is born and is diagnosed with, with a neurological injury or a brain injury. So those are, those are tough diagnoses. They talked about the possibility of having the child having a seizure disorder, and of course, nothing was 100% because she hadn't been born. But this was unique because, um, in a sense, most people learn about this after the child is born. We're learning about this almost three months before she is to be born. The one good news a few days later after the amniocentesis results came back was that genetically everything looked normal. So we said, okay, great. We, we're not, at least we're not dealing, you know, it could be worse. We could be dealing with um, some type of, you know, some down syndrome, which would make her condition even, even more challenging. So we kind of, any nugget of good news, you hang on to that. But then we started thinking about we're Megan and I are kind of integrative medicine health nuts. So we, first of all, we, I think the first, we probably went through the, uh, the Kubler raw stages of grieving. And first point was, you know, probably extreme sadness. And then later on, uh, there was probably some anger. There was also some, um, I hate to say this, <laughs> maybe some finger pointing. Like one time we, were, we had just moved into a house and I wanted to carry some plywood up to a, a bonus room and we had to cut it in half. And it was half, you know, I did, we didn't have anyone. It was just Megan and I. And I was like, you know, she helped me carry some plywood up the stairs, a couple pieces, I think it was. But you go back to maybe that's what, you know, I shouldn't have done that. You know, you start trying to look for what did I do? What did we do? We had an argument one time a few months back and it was like, what did, did my blood pressure go high that time? You know, so it's kind of, I wish we hadn't done that. And, um, but we did a little bit. I mean, I don't think I was, I don't know, maybe she did. And I was just trying to, but the point is, is that you, maybe this was just all part of the process because we went through all those stages of trying to figure out what did we do wrong? If we had to did this, we wouldn't have caused this to happen to our child that we love so much. 
but fortunately, we didn't spend too much time on that. We really that we pivoted to to the to do. So Meg and I are both are really big into once we accept that this was you know whether it was the carrying the plywood up the stairs or or maybe there was no reason at all. Obviously, we'll never know the etiology. We asked the doctor, and they said that this you know you don't have a genetic issue, so we don't know. My, you know, my wife's blood pressure was normal, her vitals were normal, the blood test looked normal, so everything looked normal. And then we had, so we were looking for an answer as to why we never, and we realized pretty quickly, we're probably not going to get that answer. So instead of focusing on why this happened, you know, we we spent a little time trying to figure it out, but when we found out there probably wasn't going to be an answer, the things that we had left was, okay, what, let's focus on the now, let's get real and let's focus on what we can do now. So we made our list and we started talking about things that would be helpful, but not harmful. So Megan and I are really, we had, we had the, um, the, the benefit of working in NICUs and, hot, and, and rehabilitation with kids and with adults uh, through our rotations, but also in clinical practice. So we decided that we didn't want to give Sophia a lot of drugs or any drugs at all, any pharma, unless we really had to. So we, we knew that she might have seizures. We started looking at modified diets that potentially could help with seizures. We started looking at things like hyperbaric chambers. And early on, this is probably not too normal, but early on, we started planning her kind of rehabilitation program, her nutrition program. Megan decided that she wanted to try to be a breastfeeding mother for as long as possible. And so the idea was that we were going to do everything that we could do that we thought would be that would be good and safe because we felt like, why not? You know, this is going to give Sophia the best chance to, we knew there wasn't a cure, but what we wanted to help her achieve was progress upon this thing, what we call the path to wellness. And that was a, a term that we had learned about from a guy named Glenn Doman, who was a physical therapist, but he started the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential in Philadelphia. And we read his book. It was a book called What to Do About Your Brain Injured Child. And one of the things that we took away from that book was that he had this term called the pathway to wellness. And he believed that there was always a pathway to improve wellness if you just wake up every day and just be good, you know, do your best, just do your best as parents, do your best, give, you know, give the, your child the best nutrition for their specific circumstance or dis, their disease or their disability, whatever the, the circumstance was. And that really resonated with us. Okay, yeah, we can do that. We can wake up every day. And within our resources, what we have, we can do our best. So we focused on um, creating a list of, of, of things that we could do that could potentially impact Sophia's development in a positive way. Well, it's so admirable, right? You could have taken the news and really <laughs> dwelled, done all the finger pointing, stayed angry, not accept, but you... You and your wife seem to really take it on with such bravery and uh, courageousness. Uh, Yeah, I must say, we did not spend a lot of time with the figure, but we did. Obviously, we went through that phase probably for half a day, but we decided shortly thereafter that obviously that's that's really not very fruitful. And so we we really pivoted quickly into things that we felt could bear fruit. Yeah. No, I mean, extremely evident and extremely just brave, right, to accept it. And then, okay, how can we create the most optimal situation forward. Um, growing up, the quote around the house was in every crisis, there's an opportunity. And it seems like you, you, know, you found the books, you figured out the diets, the 
yeah, the things that could help uh, Sophia enter the world in a way that was more conducive to just an environment she could, could you know, better exist within. So it's just incredible how deep you guys went in, in, in the preparation around, you know, when she was going to be born. Well, we did. We started, we, we read a lot of books. Uh, we actually went to Philadelphia and attended a conference for our course uh, with Glenn Doman, the, the, what to do about your brain and your child, what to do about your brain and your child. We did that. We also started looking at, I'd found out about this guy in India at the Center for Life Sciences. And Megan was like, I'm not so certain, but he had a homeopathic medicine that was supposed to be an excitatory agent. And you have to be careful with these things because parents who are desperate are looking for the latest, greatest herb or stem cell. And we were, you know, healthcare professionals. So I didn't, I, I actually did get accused because we were looking at a lot of things. But the truth is that we did look at a lot of things, but we didn't do a lot of those far out things. Mm -hmm. uh, hyperbarics at the time was considered uh, somewhat fringe by some people, but we thought we looked at all the evidence. There's a lot of literature on it, a lot of studies and mild hyperbarics. We decided to buy a hyperbaric chamber and that was, and we spent about 15 years inside that chamber doing about four to five dives a week, Sophia and I at about 1.2 atmosphere. So a very mild pressure. The, the whole point with, with something like hyperbarics is, is there was only upside potential and there was zero downside. We look for another thing that we, we, we decided against at the time stem cells were improved in the U S we had saved her umbilical cord stem cells, but there are some trials later on that we're starting at Duke, but the science wasn't there yet. So we never got to use Sophia's umbilical cord stem cells, even though we paid to save them. Uh, there was some stuff going on in China where they were using donor stem cells. Again, we chose not to do that because the efficacy and the safety wasn't there. So even though we, we explored some of those things, we really only did things uh, that we knew were safe. Breastfeeding was safe. Uh, improving her diet was a modified ketogenic diet, more proteinish, but that, that was later on. We did some really um, good kind of evidence-based, a few vitamins just to support her, her vitamins and minerals, but nothing outside of the, the, the realm of, of, of what was kind of, I won't call it standard medical care because most, we did do it. We were on a gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free diet. We cleaned up our diet and made it really clean. Uh, Doman had a brain food diet, which was essentially just a really healthy, clean diet. So what do we have to lose? We're just really, when it, we, were, we decided not to give her any artificial colors, um, any, no artificial sweeteners. We cut out most of the inflammatory proteins like gluten and casein. But yeah, you know, you're not going to be doing any harm with that stuff. It's not a cure for brain injury, but it, you know, she, she became a really healthy, at least immune system wise, she became a very healthy baby and then toddler. And that allowed us to focus our efforts. So if you have a healthy child that's not you know, sick with colds and flu or whatever else, viral um, pathogens all the time, we were able to focus on her therapy program and her uh, reading program and her language program, uh, essentially in just doing life, doing life as uh, children learn uh, by experiencing life. And so a good life and a good family with great language great music, going to play a lot outdoors, getting the right amount of sunshine, you know, hanging upside down on the, on the monkey bars with obviously with dead standing there supporting, but that's the way kids learn. That's the way the brain makes connections. And with a normal kid that's, you know, that's healthy, it's, it, that, that, that becomes pretty natural and pretty easy with a kid like Sophia who didn't, who didn't take her first steps until she was five years old. 
these kids with developmental disabilities, they need a lot more support, a lot more help to do all of these activities. But I tell you, Sophia got to experience all of that because we were, I mean, we had her on a bike with support. We had her, I mean, she went everywhere that we went. We were at the playground every day. She learned, you know, she might, she needed help to climb up the stairs, but, you know, we we're putting the feet there. She was climbing up the stairs and she was getting to the slide and she was going down the slide. So I think she got as many repetitions on all of that stuff as did our, our typical normal developing kids. We have four kids behind her that obviously it didn't take even a, a, a 1% of the work that we get put into Sophia because Sophia required so much support. But um, that was really our goal, just to give her the reps, you know, give her a better shot and just um, to kind of support her and empower her so that she could develop optimally and become the best that she can be. And we still say that to her. Sophia, we're, we're, we're here to help you become the best that you can be. And so whatever God has for, for her, as long as it's, if we're, we're supporting that, because I, I don't want to be that pushy parent that, that, that believes that, you know, yeah, did I, as a dad, did I want to fix her fully? If I could have, you know, you know, cut off my arm or sprinkle the dust or wave the wand, of course I would, you know, I wish there was a way that we could completely regrow the brain tissue that, that was damaged. But since that's not possible yet with modern science, um, the next best thing is just to find acceptance and then support her in becoming the best that she can be. Well, uh, five years to walk, uh, and but also just the, the dedication and over the period of time just to help her come into the best version of herself. I, it's just so commendable. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, what what for you as a father and maybe for your wife as a mother would you say um, was has been the most challenging part right of of raising a child with dis disabilities but then also on the flip side like well where have you found the most joy and sense of reward and fulfillment um through watching sophia develop well i think the most challenging part is at one point megan had had we sat down and she said maybe we shouldn't be having a lot of other children and Megan said, well, maybe our plans, you know, we need to consider changing our plans. And, but I'm a pretty pushy driven type A person. And I said, I remember saying, you know what, you know, no, we got knocked down. We've got all this to do with Sophia. I acknowledge that. But um, I remember thinking our plans should change. We should, we just have to, we can still just do it all. And I don't know if that, you know, I would not give that advice to anyone. I don't think that that's necessarily, you know, I was young, maybe I was young and dumb, but it was, it was what came out and that's what I believed at the time. And so, you know, we, we wound up having, um, four more kids after Sophia, we were going to stop, I think at three. And then I was like, let's have, try to have a boy. Cause we had, we had Sophia, then we had Olivia, the second daughter. Then we had Ava. She's like, okay, we're done. And I'm like, no, we're going to have a boy. And so Megan read a book about how to have a boy. And we had a boy. She's like, okay, we're done. And I was like, well, maybe, but maybe what if we change our mind? And then surprise, a couple of years later, we get the fifth one. And then Megan's like, okay, I've shared, you know, enough already. And it was, but, and then it was over. But so we were blessed with five kids. I think that leads to the challenge um, because I've always been very entrepreneurial. Um, early on, I, I mean, I did, I, I think we did about everything we could do for Sophia. So I don't have regrets with that. But obviously with me starting, um, our, we had a busy practice. We had a couple other business startups, including Rehab, our, our main company. You know, we were uh, with using the bootstrap method, meaning we had no venture capital. We had, 
the, the most, the main support we had was um, ourselves, our own resources. I have my business partner, Mike at Rehab Mart, but we were bootstrapping this ourselves. And operationally, you know, my job, uh, Mike, when on the Rehab Mart side, my job is the operations side. I, I ran the office, I built the buildings, I built the campus, we hired the people. He runs the website and writes most of the software. But balance, the, the, biggest, the biggest challenge for us was always balance, and it still is. And as, as we've gotten larger as a business, we employ a lot more people, uh, our business has gotten larger. Our pra- for, until five years ago, I was still trying to run our practice. So I was trying to practice as an occupational therapist and run our and run all of that, and 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 be part of the startup. Or, you know, Rehab Mart at that point, I guess, wasn't a startup, but it was scaling and growing. And yet, we had five kids to divide time amongst, and um, that's the biggest challenge. It's still like my huge challenge. It's you know, making I, I spend a lot of hours at work now. I still feel like we're blessed as, you know, I look at the cup is like, you know, 90% full still because we have, you know, we're blessed. We have a beautiful home and our kid, we live in a great part of the country. Our kids go to good schools. You know, we've got a lot to be thankful for. And I tend to spend my time saying, look, family, that we're so blessed. We have all of this and yeah, dad works a lot, but you know, get over it. You know, I'm kind of a little bit old school with that. Um, but I have to realize that what they tell, you know, I have to be, and make sure that as I grow and mature that as a, as a father and a leader, maybe I'm, I need to be a better listener. And when they say, you know, well, you being home more for dinner is important and traveling, traveling, traveling a little bit less. And I'm also kind of a sports person that, you know, I love like the lake and I love snow skiing and I love taking my kids and all these trips. Uh, and sometimes we, we, as of having such a large family, Megan would go, well, if we just had two kids, you know, we could, we could all fit in a regular rental car, right? We could go more places, you know? Um, you know, you have five kids and sometimes you want to bring your fr- a friend, you need, you need to rent a church bus. <laughs> <laughs> All the things you didn't consider, uh, early on, but, um, you know, I, I, I know it, I'm sure it's hard. Uh, I, you know, growing, my dad is very entrepreneurial similarly. And so that there's always those competing demands and what's right at, for the family, what's right for the business. How do you blend the two? Uh, you took on a lot, you know, you, you took on a, a I think a, a serious load uh, early in life and it's impressive what you've done considering how much you piled on the plate. Uh, something I want to lean into is uh, talking a little bit about rehab, Mark. You know, you were saying a bit earlier when Sophia came into the world, you looked at diets and hyperbaric chambers and nutrition and, you know, rehabilitation practices, you know, it seems like that maybe was the early ingredients for rehab mark plus all your other knowledge in the medical space i mean what wh- where'd the light bulb go off for you to say you know what there's an opportunity here uh to help people who have to be caregivers for you know children and people in their lives with, with disabilities well the light bulb initially went off in college um at the medical college of georgia we had a guy named fred salmons that came by our school and he was um one of the founders of a company called Patterson Medical. It used to be called Salmon's Preston. It's been purchased. It's now, I think, called Performance Health. But Fred was an occupational therapist, and he had a big, thick catalog. It looked as thick as the Sears and Roebuck catalog. It probably wasn't quite that thick, but it was pretty thick. And he sold all of these gadgets for rehabilitation. It was the physical therapy supplies, but it was also the occupational therapy gadgets, like 
you know, shoe things and dressing, uh, dressing hooks and reachers and, you know, fancy shower seats and all these different uh, tools for the job of living as, as I called it, or they, I, back in the day, we called it uh, ADL tools, for, which is ADL is activities of daily living. And so initially we were probably more focused on, on teenagers and adults that were kind of living and aging and even senior citizens, seniors that were um, aging uh, with the challenges that come with aging and having to modify and adapt their homes and to, to be more independent and stay as independent as long as possible. So we started thinking in those terms. And then we thought, um, walking home from one of Fred's talks, uh, Mike and I together were talking about how amazing the internet was going to be. And the internet was really young still in 94, 93, 94. But we started talking, at, I guess, between 94 and 95 about the possibility of, of putting these tools online and kind of supporting caregivers and educating people about all of these amazing products, these gadgets that people could use if they were living with um, not, not just adults, but really anyone, right? Because as therapists, we, we work with people from in the NICU from birth. So we work with babies in the NICU when they're first born. And also we work with people all the way up until the end of life. So we really started as we started to uh, as we you know graduated and became practicing therapists, we started realizing that our job was to support uh, just humans wherever they are wherever they are at in the lifespan, and that the internet had this amazing power. Not only could we actually uh, sell product and hope hopefully one day make a living doing it, uh, but we could also uh, use technology to consult with patients to empower patients caregivers but increasingly we started just real we started leaning on the term caregiver because the word patient sounds very clinical and at some point when you start thinking about the lifespan you kind of start you, you realize that the, the older we get you realize that if we live long enough we're all going to be givers and takers and caregivers we're going to have needs and we're, we're going to have psychological needs we're going to have physical needs and really, it's all about community. And, um, you know, today, I, I proudly use the term caregiver. Maybe when I was a young therapist, I would have said, oh, no, I, no, there's physicians and there's therapists and there's nurses and we're these professional healthcare. And we are, you know, let's acknowledge that it takes a lot of work to become a doctor of physical therapy uh, or a nurse practitioner or, an, or a physician, a medical doctor. But at the same time, um, there's a, not, there's a lot of nobility that I think I want to cast out into the world that if you're uh, willing to learn to care about someone for their, for their healthcare needs and healthcare, you know, it starts with motivation. It starts with psychology because there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of stuff that, get, that comes in psychologically when you learn that you've had any healthcare challenge, especially a major healthcare challenge, like your child was born with cerebral palsy or autism or your partner just had a stroke, or they got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, or even cancer. I mean, there's so many diagnoses out, out there. And the great thing about therapy is that we work with anyone. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. The only thing that matters is that we have someone who has suffered some type of healthcare event, and they want to, to rehabilitate. They want to get stronger. They want to get more into, they want to become more independent. They want to live a more purposeful life. And so we, a good therapist or a good caregiver, what we're here to do is listen to the patient's goals. You know, this tragic thing happened to me, but now they have to get to a place to say, you know what, I want help. 
and I want to help. I want to use you to help me get better. And that's our job as not only therapists, it's also our job as, as partners, as spouses, as parents, as friends, as just, if I'm just your great, great friend and I want to step into the gap, uh, my message is we, there's so much great information now out there to, to, to help people and to help caregivers step into to, to the gap and serve. And what you'll, I think what you'll find is when you actually step into the gap and whether you do it at home or you take a, a mission trip or a service trip, or you just go to a devastated area like an island that's been hit by a, a hurricane, doesn't matter where you're serving. If you're helping people that are in need that have had any challenge, but specifically healthcare challenges, you know, diagnoses, you're helping them get back on their feet. And uh, you will receive, I've done, so I, I do these trips to India to the Center for Life Sciences every couple of years. And people from all over India come to this place with their kids. These kids have, you know, brain injury, cerebral palsy, autism spectrum, genetic issues like Down syndrome. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. We're here to help. We write rehabilitation programs. We work with nutrition. But what we do, we really work because many of these people are going to be leaving after a week and going back to their village. So what we try to do is impart knowledge to parents, grandparents, caregivers, so that they can make impact up on the life of usually it's a child or a teenager, you know, suffering with the disability or the, or the, or the diagnosis. But that's what we do. We empower caregivers to be, to make impact, to make, to be facilitators of change. And then we just, um, we actually give hope that there is a pathway to wellness. It's sometimes it, you know, sometimes it's not the complete wellness of being a perfectly what we define as a perfectly healthy, strong person. But wellness oftentimes is is a place that is so much better from where the person started. And so, yeah, it's a really exciting thing when you can actually listen to a family and a group of people and along with the person, the patient will call them. Again, I don't even like the word patient because they're just a the person who, who's in need. As long as we can listen and help that family get to a better place and help that person start developing on that pathway to wellness, it's a really powerful thing to be a part of. Yeah, it's uh, super cool. And I, I love what you said, how it kind of started in college. I mean, you must have been really paying attention to the signals and the magazines and what you were seeing and saying, okay, how... How do we bring these tools, gadgets, products online in a way that can then educate uh, people? Uh, and you've you've seemed to really build a platform, right, for people to find the ways in which to be, you know, to bring home that knowledge and the tools around it to you know make the situation at home better, which is so in aligned with what you do. Uh, in India, uh, helping spread knowledge and share these rehab programs, uh, which is incredible uh, to me. Something that I, and, and this is just me because I've gotten to know you, and this is in the realm of spreading knowledge and information, uh, and just I'm connecting the dots here. Something that I believe you have done so well at Rehab Mart is using content as a means to spread knowledge and information you want to to, to give people access to these tools and products right and so you've built a very aligned business and purpose-driven business could you maybe share how you've gone about creating the content and the 
pages and, and the way in which to get in front of the right people. I mean, I think that's it's just such a fascinating part of your business, yet so aligned to who you are at your core. Yeah, I think this was this was definitely a learning process over the years. But what we learned um, just by being here, we started the business in 1998, Mike and I. We're still here uh, 23 years later. But we learned that people, no one wants to have to buy a wheelchair or a standing frame or extra, you know, certain a parallel bar on the ultrasound machine, whatever. They, they're, they're trying to solve a problem. These are just tools that we sell. It's, they're just, it's just stuff. And so, and you know, so I only I only admire tools or stuff in the respect or or the capacity, the understanding that these tools have capacity to actually rehabilitate someone. If it's a if it's a modality like an ultrasound machine or a shockwave device and it can help tissue heal, then great. I, I admire the the shockwave technology and understanding how to apply the technology and set put the settings at the right frequency. But you start to realize that it's just a tool. And so you, it, I only admire the, the, the device from that standpoint because you're, it's really about my passion is all driven by using activities, exercise, sometimes tools or modalities like the hyperbaric chamber or like an ultrasound machine or a shockwave device. But we're actually applying those tools or using those tools as a resource to achieve outcomes. and. Um, and there's a lot of science and technology and you know evidence behind all of that. So you have to you do have to spend some time understanding all of that. So that's our job at Rehab Mart. Yeah, we sell stuff, but the the reason we sell stuff is because we're providing knowledge and, and education. And we, we created a platform called Caregiver University on Rehab Mart. It's just a essentially it's a fancy blog, but it has thousands of articles. Uh, some of it's comparison guide guides. Some of it is actually introducing a new technology like Shockwave. Sometimes it's a, a series of articles or guides explaining the complexity of hyperbaric chambers. There's high pressure hyperbarics, medium pressure hyperbarics, mild, mild pressure hyperbarics. And it's all measured in something called atmospheres of pressure of, excuse me, ATMs or atmospheres of pressure. But we, we can get real, really scientific. But the point is, is that what we try to do with Caregiver University is take some of these scientific principles and break them down so that the the average person can read them and understand them. Now we'll still put a hyperlink out to the published research on the NIH or whatever. And if you're very geeky or scientific, you can of course go and read the full scientific article. But that's one of our goals is to be as evidence-based as possible, but to break down knowledge so that people can access it as, as caregivers or as just patients who, who, are, who are trying to solve a problem. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to be problem solvers. We, we, what, what I've found is that if you, we, we spend a lot of, we, we hire a lot of experts. We have a beautiful campus where we put a lot of money into our, what we call our content creation department. They're people who work with data, they're content creators. And we, we partner with nurses and therapists and physicians and others for some of the content. Some of it's more basic and we can do it all in house. But the point is, is that when we give away this information and we empower people, um, sometimes they may go buy from a competitor that might not always buy from us. But the point is we're putting out the information and um, we sell, you know, we sell over 100,000 products from over 600 suppliers. We've got supply chain issues, just like like every e-commerce provider. Our products sit in over, you know, I think 5,000 warehouses nationwide. Right now, a bunch of them are stuck on ships because of mid-pandemic, and we all watch the news and we see that some of these ships are sitting out at sea for up to three months. That's obviously a huge challenge for 
during because of the current times we're living in. But um, all that stuff is important. You know, we run a business where I have to be. I, obviously, I'm very aware of all those challenges. I'm part of the operations team here. And so part of those um, meetings that we have weekly where we're trying to solve really complex problems with, with the supply chain partners and with some of our own warehouses that, that we manage direct. But the core mission still is, um, you know, I'm like, please, God, let's just like get back to normal with supply chain so we can start focusing on our core mission, which is really to educate people, to empower caregivers and to, and I love going to the, one more thing I'll add, I love going to conferences and the shows and, and especially if there's an amazing technology that's taking us to the next level, I'm always, I always come back like a kid in a candy shop and I've got this new piece of, for me that the technology is what I get excited about. I'm like, oh my gosh. The latest thing I think was this new shockwave. There's a new science that says the shockwave can actually recruit uh, mesenchymal stem cells and cellular growth factors for, for soft tissue injuries. And as long as the ligament or tendon wasn't fully detached, that you know, we could we could revascularize and we could achieve healing and sometimes maybe even avoid, you know, avoid surgery and actually make the rehab go faster. Things like that get really exciting to me. I love it when we can uh, you know, we can save someone from more invasive, from having to undergo a more invasive procedure like a surgery, just by by using nutrition, wellness, exercise, um, and potentially a, a modality to achieve a great outcome. And that's and some of those injuries obviously are, are things that you can get a full re, re, no, full recovery over, and it's not something like cerebral palsy or multiple sclerosis that people often live with lifelong. So there's a spectrum of stuff we work with, but um, that's a really long answer. But yeah, that's kind of what we do. And I guess to sum it up, I'd say I'm probably, I'm for sure much more passionate about solutions and about conveying the information in in a really easy to understand way. Yeah, we still sell products and gadgets and you know we're a marketplace. That's That pays the bills and, and products are part of the mix. But uh, I'm really more passionate about the solutions side of, of, uh, of our business. That's amazing. Hewlett. I, I mean, that just knowing you all these years, you can just the, the passion that you have for what you do, why you do it, uh, how you do it. I mean, you've been, you've been passionate about the content side since I met you five, six years ago to educate and, and spread knowledge. And it's very evident, um, just the internal alignment to, yeah, the success that you guys have had, and yeah, it's taken a lot of work, but you've done it from a place that is a really good place. And I'm, I'm just so uh, inspired by who you are and what and how, you, how you've done it. And um, I appreciate all the knowledge over the years. Uh, Hila, where where can people reach out, find you, find Rehab Mart, and uh, get in touch if they if, if they wish? So we're just online, just RehabMart.com, R-E-H-A-B-M-A-R-T, and that's where we're at. Um, you can also uh, Google my name. I have a I have a blog. It needs to be, and I've got some helpers. We need to update it more often with more fresh content on my on the rehab side. We 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 publish daily, but HewlettSmith.com is my personal blog. It's just H-U-L-E-T-S-M-I-T-H.com. One last thing I'll add. I've I found that just giving away knowledge and and, and share you know sharing information that that's good and useful that the universe always gives back. Like we've never, I've never had a hard time being successful by, by giving. And um, I think I should probably give more. I mean, I always, if I look back, I think the more you give and the more you put out there, at least in this great country we live in, you know, I have more resources than I ever thought I would have. I started with, with a, with a family in a small town in South Georgia, you know, we weren't wealthy. 
I had to work, started working at 12, the typical story, you know, worked through, you know, worked in college, worked a full-time job, my first two and a half years of college and uh, went to college during the day, worked at night, uh, borrowed money to go to school. And it's been fine. You know, I didn't go to any elite preparatory schools that I started um, in Griffin, Georgia. At, and I think I was on the South side of the track. So actually I think I was the only white kid in my third grade class, which I'm really proud of. You know, it wasn't the highest academically you know, performing school, but you know what, I think at least with my story, you know, I had a good family. I kept showing up every day and I just kind of believe that if you just keep showing up and putting out knowledge and put and just continue to share things work out, not only okay, at least in my experience, things work out beyond okay, like beyond your wildest dreams. And I, I don't think it's anything that magical. I don't think I'm special. I just think that for so, for whatever reason, um, someone shared enough with me, maybe my parents, my grandparents, other influencers in my life, just to keep, just to work hard, keep showing up, keep doing what you know to do, keep learning. I'm, I just, I love to keep learning about you know, science and technology and information. Uh, there's a lot of noise out there as well. So sometimes you have to weed through the good information versus the bad information, but yeah, I'm just such a, I just want to put that out there. Just keep for people. I tell young people, I don't have a secret other than just keep sharing knowledge, keep learning and keep showing up and it all works out. Awesome. Well, um, Hila, I really appreciate you sharing. You are such a giver at heart, uh, personally, professionally in all areas of your life. And I've witnessed it firsthand. So Thanks for showing up today with such uh, with such authenticity, and I'm I'm really excited for uh, this to impact the people that listen to it. Well, thank you for giving me this platform to to just talk and share my some of my deepest uh, passions and uh, things that are important. I, lo- I love doing it, and uh, I wish you all the best with the uh, the podcast. And uh, I know you're going to have cont- continued success with the One Way Show. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.